Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Roll. Where to hunt Where podcast. To hunt podcast. It's, it's, okay. It's, okay. It's, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Hi, I'm Dan Small, host of Outdoor Wisconsin, and I listen to Where to Hunt. Man, it's okay. I'm Kurt Geyer with Working Class Bow Hunter. I listen to Where to Hunt podcast, and it's decent. It's all right. Hey, this is Bud Fisher with Catching Deers, and I think the Where to Hunt podcast is all right. Hey, what up, everybody? Welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts. Uh, today is, who freaking knows, it's not Valentine's Day, so we got that going for us. No, we got that crap out of the way. <laughs> Welcome to the OKS Podcast in the Midwest, coming at you from the OKS Hunter Podcast Studio, uh, where, you know, we just try to underwhelm here. Under-deliver, underwhelm. We don't promise shit. So far, so good. We're delivering. We're del- we, yeah, we don't know what we're delivering. It's not pizza. Um, okay, well, let's get into one ad. I think this is a short one. Make it short. Make it sweet. Or at work, in a tree stand, or simply waking up, it's important to be alert. There's no better way to get there than with Backwoods Grind Coffee. Ground fresh for every order, delivered straight to your door. Backwoods Grind Coffee. All right, so go on over to backwoodsgrind.com and turn code W2H Podcast for 10% off. Now, also, you're going to notice uh, if you're watching live and if you're listening, just tune in. Uh, SpartanForge.ai is sponsoring our video chat and our live listener call-in. So if you want to call into the show, you can do that by calling 262-757-4122. Or uh, in 30 minutes or so, we're going to share a link in all of our social platforms for you to join us via video if you want to ask questions for our guests. So if you don't know, Spartan Forge is an AI machine learning, uh, data modeling incredible technology platform that's changing every single day. So get in there while the getting's good because their price is going to go up because they're adding more and more features. It helps you predict deer. Um, what do you want to say that Mo- mobility? That's not right. Movement. Movement. Thank you. That was the wrong M word. Uh, they've taken what? Millions of data points from collar deer around the country from working with colleges compared that to collision data, weather data, historical, other data, all sorts of data. These are data nerds. Um, I say that nicely. But head on over to SpartanForge.ai. You can use code W2H for 20% off. So again, get it while well, it's getting good. And uh, I am drinking my Drop Time Spirits, the official drink of Deer Camp. And uh, they don't let us go dry here at the Word Hunt. Okay, it's Hunter Podcast Studio, do they? Well, they're definitely letting, not letting you go dry. <laughs> <laughs> it is tasty. I don't have uh, all that room for all that beer that you're drinking. I life over there. Champagne. Champagne beers. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's, uh, we're going to bring in our guest. We have a really fun guest. Well, fun might be relative. I don't know. Uh, very knowledgeable. Yeah. Very wise. Aaron, are you fun? There he is. He's fun. Once you get to know me, I'm extremely funny, but um, <laughs> I've definitely noticed that uh, 
I scowl too much and people have a preconceived notion that I'm not happy when people will bring that up to friends of mine and they're like, are you kidding? That dude's never serious. He's like a big kid. But uh, I do Perfect. have an off-putting scowl. I need to, I need to smile more. <laughs> I, I worked with a guy that was like that and everybody's like, dude, you don't want to work with that guy. Well, why? Dude, he's always a grumpy son of a bitch. I never had any problems with him. I could get him laughing. He would joke with me all the time. So I don't know. Looks are always deceiving. Yeah. My father-in-law has one of those faces. Everyone just says he's a dick, but he's not. He's super nice. So he just looks like he's got perma-resting bitch face. I think it's what it's called, right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely have resting bitch face or scalp face. It's funny at the hunting camps when I'm guiding and uh, people, like, you know, kind of secretly go over to Scotty and be like, hey, what, what's he like? And they're like, oh, he's, he's good. What, what do you mean? Like, he seems mad all the time, and Scotty's like, man, we can't get him to shut the fuck up. Like, he's super happy. And then, you know, five days later, they're like, stomachs hurt from laughing. But I got to work on uh, having a more appealing uh, appearance out of the gate so I don't scare the kids. <laughs> That's great. Hey, kids are scared of everything. That's not a bad thing. Uh, dude, so welcome to the show. We're happy to have you. Um, we set the bar pretty low here, so, you know, okay us, right? Uh, in the traditional sense, you know, everyone says, tell us about yourself. Where are you from? Um, what are you known for? Um, man, I, uh, I guess at this point, traditional archery and field craft survival, you know, backpack hunting, that kind of stuff. I've definitely known gear, uh, kind of a gear head. I helped design and, uh, R and D a lot of everything from binoculars, clothing. Uh, we just came out with a new broadhead I designed with a build from iron will, um, yep. I've got my hands in a lot of things kind of under the sheets, you know, I don't, um, pump the tires too much, you know, I, I just try to help out, uh, companies as much as I can and, uh, you know, try to get better products out on the market when, whenever possible. Cool. We've had Bill on the podcast. He's a good guy. And I, I try to reach out to him every so often just to say, Hey, and I've used his products for, for the last four seasons. I'm really happy with them. He sent yeah, you a Bill's prototype. A Was that the one that, Aaron developed then, or no? He sent me the single bevel. Okay, so you didn't get to use that. That was the end of the season, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Greg. Yeah, like like that. Like I'm lucky. Well, I I get to hunt a lot, so mm-hmm. I get to test a lot of products. So um, yeah, built the single bevel. He wanted me to try to see if I could notice a difference in penetration. I'm like, Bill, I can't. <laughs> I, like, Dude, I can't tell any difference. No, they both zip through animals between yeah. single and. I mean, I'm just, I'm running them just through a Reinhardt target, but all the, the S125, the the V100 that I started with, I've never got one stuck in an animal. They always full pass through, stuck in, sticking in the ground, and the deer dies in 40 yards. So it, no complaints there. But it was cool to try it. I mean, I stuck it into my Reinhardt target, and they're a bitch to pull out because they torque and twist. You wreck those yeah. targets. Those things aren't cheap. You got to buy some new cores after a couple of those, huh? Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. Um, Aaron, where are you from? Yeah. Uh, from Oregon originally, uh, Detroit Lake. It's about 200 people. It's in the middle of nowhere, right off the uh, Pacific Crest Trail, which is a trail that goes from Canada to Mexico. Um, cool. It's a logging community. I left there when I was 17, 18, and uh, joined the Army, and I was in the Army for a while, and then I got out and... Uh, work construction, work on high rises, commercial glass, iron working. And then, uh, then I started working for Kafaru. So nice, nice. And your journey with them, I looked at some of the history on the site. You, 
I mean, just kind of like we're product testing stuff. And then suddenly, next thing I know, I fast forward like 2012 or 2014 and boom, you're the president of the company. So like, what happened? How did you, was that even the plan or was that even on your radar or you just formed like a great relationship and did good work? You couldn't make this shit up if you tried. Um, so I just, I was reviewing backpacks and gear and the last high-end backpack, and we're talking from mountaineering packs all the way to, you know, hunting type packs was Kafaru, which was right down the road from me. I'd heard of him, but took a little bit to get a hold of the guy. He, uh, Patrick, the, 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 the owner, the, the people we bought it from Patrick and Sarah, um, he spent a lot of time in the field. Anyway, I finally got a hold of him and, um, went in and met him, got packs. And I went on a, I don't know, five day backpack scouting trip, fell in love with it, but didn't really like the bag. I came back and talked with Patrick and he, uh, we started backpacking together. What I didn't know is he was, was basically an interview. Um, we'd go out and he'd be like, Hey, go shoot a couple of squirrels and a rabbit and catch some fish and I'll get the fire going and get them ready, clean them or whatever, you know, and I've done that since birth basically. So I guess I passed the test, so I um, went from basically working for free to um, uh, like an, uh, almost like a consultant, um, you know, help with marketing and design. And then uh, this is the very short version of this story. Um, a few years later, 2014 or 15, right when I got back from the Northwest Territories, he made me the CEO or president, took his spot, um, you know, so he could retire or kind of retire. And then seven months ago, I bought the company uh, with with my partner, uh, Chad. And then we have another partner, BJ, who's kind of the CFO. Uh, he's the smart one of the group. Um, <laughs> he, he keeps us uh, adulting at a higher level. Uh, so that's the short version <laughs> of what happened. That's great. So you officially you, you acquired it, huh? Mm-hmm. That's Very incredible, cool. man. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's hard to do. That's not... That's a pretty damn big deal. Congratulations, man. Seven months ago, too, in the turmoil of the freaking world that was going on, that's one hell of a time to go through an acquisition like that. Yeah, um, it, was, it was interesting. I was on a, a mule deer hunt in Arizona, and uh, I had had lots of companies um, uh, try to recruit me, and I had a lot of um, investors try to get me to leave and uh, you know start a company with them you know, over the years or whatever, and then... Uh, I didn't feel super comfortable with, uh, I had talked with Patrick and Sarah about them selling the company one time, didn't really go anywhere. And I had one guy that I really trusted. Um, his name's Chad Shumway. And he was a guy that I felt like, you know, trust my wife, my kids, my life with, and a great businessman. He's a, he's an entrepreneur and a investor. And so I was on this mule deer hunt. I had just blown a stock, my phone, went off it was patrick which is usually important so i made sure and answered the call kind of tucked down into a a draw so i didn't scare any deer off and he said hey um can you buy the company and i was like "Uh, patrick i don't i don't have that kind of cash i said but i've got an investor that will i want you to meet him so you feel comfortable with it so chad flew in uh had a few meetings and then six months later we got all the got everything worked out it took quite a while um and um, took over in July, end of July, August time frame. Damn, um, how cool, man! That's like a a dream of mine. In so, at some level, uh, you know, that's really inspiring. Here, I would love to talk more about that. But I think the people listening <laughs> they want to get into some gear stuff. Greg is 
I don't know. Are you going to call you a gear junkie or a gear tinker? Or what, what's the well, term? I'm always you? playing around with broadheads and arrows and farting around with my bow. I'm, I've got 20 yards in my basement I can shoot, so I'm always shooting down there. But um, when it comes to packs, I don't know much anything. We're, I'm mostly a whitetail guy. You know, I'm not taking any opportunities to go out west and chase mule deer like I really want to or, you know, get an elk tag. We were supposed to do that, that this year, and it didn't happen. It's not going to happen, but so be it. Um, not to make you feel bad or guilty or anything. I got I some, don't. I got some real, uh, I mean, what I thought was a good pack. So I went to the boundary water canoe area a couple of years ago and, um, you got a pack from REI and it wasn't the cheapest thing, but nothing there is. So I thought just by buying it there, I was giving myself a good advantage. Um, I don't think that pack would serve me well on a backcountry hunt. It's not framed out or anything like that. Um, I think what's the what's the pack that they use in the service the, the old old one the Alice pack Alice pack yeah that thing's a freaking tank right so I'd love to hear about some of the packs that you have if there's folks that are doing and we, a lot of our listeners are backcountry hunting they're they're doing some of that stuff but primarily we're whitetail hunters um, yeah I mean so something for whitetail like your tail gunner pack the size of it would be ideal for me to fit a camera arm my camera but there's just some things that you know, trying to hang it on my tree stand or whatever when I pack all that crap in, you know, three sticks and a backpack and all that stuff. I try to nest it all together on my tree stand, make the tree stand uh, the frame, so to speak, and, and hook it all together there. I got some crappy pack that I just, I got some webbing on it and it, it snaps on, but I'll quit rambling. No, <laughs> I'm no, like, so where are you guys at? Cause I've hunted Northern Wisconsin, the UP. Yeah. So I mean, Schwamigan. Yep. I've hunted there, but uh, primarily I'm hunting uh, Southeastern Wisconsin because we have pretty good sized deer here and I don't have to travel far to go deer hunting. I mean, I've got essentially 12,000 acres, not far away. I mean, Compared to Western standards, that's not big, but for Wisconsin standards, that's a pretty good amount of land to, to hunt deer. Yeah, it took me a while to wrap my head around uh, the uh, the forty concept. Like uh, you're going to go hunt yep. Johnson's forty, and it, it it was forty acres. I was like, "What well, forty? What are you talking?" Yep, <laughs> coming from out west, I was like, like the first time I hunted uh, Wisconsin. Um, I'm trying to. I'm not being disrespectful. I'm trying to pull up a picture here with some of the questions the guys are asking. Um, I didn't, I had too much shit in the stand and antlers and things I didn't need and yep. no idea what I was doing. Now keep mind from, from out West, um, you know, if you shoot a couple animals a year out West, you're, you're doing pretty good. I mean, you know, public land and everything else. Well, mm-hmm. uh, this was back in the heyday of Wisconsin when you guys actually had deer. Uh, <laughs> so you are um, funny. <laughs> and, uh, you know, earn a buck program, had to yep. shoot a doe. I could buy, I think two doe tags a day. Yeah, and uh, you talk about a fat kid in the candy store. I'm like, I can shoot all that shit. Yep. What? And first morning out, filled both doe tags. Went back, bought more doe tags, and that continued for about 37 days. Um, I was just way late because I eat a lot of wild game. And same here. Uh, it was interesting because what I had gathered from that uh, up there to what you know me hunting whitetail now gave me a pretty good. Um, the striker pack is one that we built it. It's pretty conducive to whitetail hunting, packing in tree stands and camera gear and things like that. So when we designed that, I really 
probably should have um, uh, gotten help from a whitetail hunter, but I'm like, well, this is what I want, and it works out west. So we're not, you know, because we haven't designed a technical whitetail pack yet. We're working on one now. And, uh, cool. you know, when you're trying to fit, fit both um, uh, western and, and whitetail hunting, you know, there's some parameters. Whitetail hunters don't, you know, want this obsessively large bag to fit everything in. So we, we kept that striker pretty streamlined. I don't know if you'll be able to see this, um, but like that's, whoa, just a mule deer deboned and sure. then, uh, the rack coming off of it. And you can put a tree stand in there, tree steps. You know, when we turkey hunt, I look like the clamp. It's because I've got a ground blind and turkey decoys <laughs> hanging all over. looks like pinata or dingle balls hanging off me with the decoys. But, um, you know, that was one we designed really for, for guys packing in uh, you know, tree stands, tree steps, and the need to take the animal out with them was the, the striker. Um, you know, the thing with whitetail hunting I've found now that I've hunted all over for whitetail is you go to down south, you're pulling a bad boy buggy uh, up to the stand, right? There's not, you just need something to hold some shit while you're in the tree. Uh, then you go to Wisconsin. I was hunting deactivated logging roads or, or closed down gates where I, we'd pull a toboggan in, um, which pulling out four or five does on a toboggan, that sucks. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, but you got to do it. There's not, there's not many options. So we tried to hit a pack with that striker that would do more or less everything that somebody that wanted to be mobile and move stands around and, and also come out West. And like, I, of course I got bashed for this. I just threw a 300 pound sheep in that thing to see if I could break one of the prototype frames. Um, just when we design stuff, we usually test it for a couple of years, which is hard for people to wrap their head around. Most companies don't, to test their gear like that and so that's kind of my job while i'm still young enough to try and break shit by the time i'm 60 i'll probably be passing that torch off to somebody younger but right now i can still still do it yeah take them on an interview in the woods with you right <laughs> yeah <laughs> pass the torch um you're just holding things to a higher standard which doesn't get done often enough i don't think let's say hi to my puppy here yeah i've got two what do you uh, got? I don't know. Uh oh, they're leaving. They're um, bailing. Camera shy. This <laughs> eight month old monster Great Pyrenees that cool. They eat four pounds of raw meat a day each. Yep. Um, Holy shit! They're what? big. They're eight months old. They're one hundred and six and one hundred and eight pounds right now. Oh yeah. Now. Oh, they're not. They're not quite full grown yet. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. No, my buddy had a, had a Great Pyrenees, and then he also had a Dane, and his his Dane eats eight pounds of food a day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They can eat, but, but yes, you know, as far as the, the pack thing goes, like we're hundred percent made in America. And, uh, I think we're the only ones left that are truly needle thread buttons, labor, everything's made in America. We have some competitors that probably could have like a half Asian flag and a half American flag. Cause it's Asian shit with, uh, kind of halfway put together in America, but we're truly all made in, in the USA needle thread, labor buttons, everything very compliant. So, uh, you know, when the military looks at literally everything comes from the U.S., which is a, a pain in the butt. But we we pride ourselves on that. And then we employ 48 full time people uh, at the shop. And then we have uh, at home sewers that live nearby that so have kind of their own sewing facility and so forth. So, um, you know, it's it's a good feeling to know that I'm employing or we are employing a lot of Americans and, and uh, be you know, with the way that the world's going right now is something I certainly like to stand behind. Absolutely. Wow. 
I, I keep getting questions queued up, but I'm like so fascinated by everything we're talking about. Um, shit, what was I going to ask? You have brain fart. Are you doing? Are, sir, are you doing work for the DoD? Like, are you supplying them with packs? <laughs> cool. Yeah. So are like more than we? Can yeah, you're like indirect. You're in direct contact. You're like directly in their supply chain. Then, so you ha- when you say compliant, that really means something. That's not just like oh, we're compliant. Like literally, you have to be like compliant with certain standards, right? Yeah, we get uh, we have people come in and audits. Uh, you and shit. get it's almost like an audit. Yeah. Um, you know the thing that that one of the things that we're lucky with we don't. There's other outdoor companies that once they deal with the uh, SEAL teams, uh, like Deb Grewer, CAG, ODA teams, they first thing it does goes up on social media. We're working with whoever. We don't do that shit. I don't. I don't want to hang my company on a trident to to try to push sales. We're just. It's an honor to to help, uh, whether it be well any tier one group. And one of the reasons I think they keep coming back is we don't pimp them out to try to gain sales. We just build shit for them and they like it you know obviously we keep building it for them and and uh and we don't we don't try to publicize that because they're you know the quiet profession and and we also kind of hang our hat on that we we like the fact that you know we may lose sales from the general public with how much we work with the military but the military likes it and they're they're more than happy to deal with us because we do keep it uh low key and on the down low my my designer uh eric bender's a a genius guy show up and he starts drawing sketches, and next thing you know, the big brain has some pack of hauls some crazy weapon that looks like it holds tennis balls and a tennis racket, so they can look incognito. So it's, <laughs> it's unique perspective. Who's or unique? Uh, it, it's unique on who's going to walk through the door uh, to come in tomorrow. We have a um, uh, special forces uh, surgeon that's coming on the podcast that uh, literally looks like he belongs on Yellowstone. He's a cowboy. Wow. Uh, <laughs> To go over backcountry medicine, uh, mostly because I suck. I carry Luco tape and some Oxycontin, and away <laughs> we go. You know, I'm not the best guy to be talking about first aid, so we're bringing him on and uh, in hopes to to answer some questions for people. Man, that's cool. wild. Uh, one of our one of our listeners, I don't know if you saw, I popped up on the screen here. I'll do it again. Uh, Levi asked if you guys have a bino harness that also carries a sidearm for bear country. So Levi's in Wyoming. Yep. Um, he's got one hell of a story of a horse flying off a fucking mountain, like ridiculous shit so he's definitely in the back country <laughs> he lives out there right yeah um yeah. i actually i'll be in wyoming next month if they have it i think i'm the keynote speaker for the wyoming bow hunting chapter cool do that levi um so we we don't make a bino harness i uh it's almost like a mental thing for me i get copied so much from other companies that i don't hurts business but i have a hard time copying friends of mine when i say copy it's pretty hard to make a unique bino harness and so um until you know we um we come out with something that different than everyone else i'm i'm more than happy to pawn off sales i I really don't want to steal business from another company that that helped start bino harnesses because we certainly get copied by a lot of companies starting up um two specifically that might as well be called Kafaru Walmart. Um, (laughs) They ordered all of our, our shelters and pulled them and pockets and pulled them apart and made patterns from them. And then just buy cheap Asian shit. And uh, it looks just like us, but it's, it's, 
it is what it is, but I don't want to do that. So we, we haven't that, done That's it. flattery, right? We'll just chalk it up to that, huh? That sounds literally My like God. when we I go work a trade show and we got people from different countries coming in and they've, they've got jackets and they'll open up a jacket and they'll have a tape measure next to it and they'll have their buddies snapping pictures next to our product. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. it, it gets to stupid levels. Have you heard of T&K hunting gear? Uh, yeah, I just talked to him on the phone. <laughs> Tyler, he's a fucking maniac. I love that guy. He's he's what yeah, you he, see, what you get, and he's yeah. he's a marine, right? So, <laughs> yeah, he makes a good marine product. And a cop. Nope. Yeah, yeah, nope. he's a badass. Um, yeah, and he puts on a good. <laughs> I mean, I think he's quieted down a little bit, unfortunately, but his social media shit, man, oh my god. He he's a big follower of Kafaru, and we're you know uh, you know friends of his with the whole Made in America. Like, yep, we talked on the phone yesterday of like he's experiencing what we've experienced for thirty years, and I. He, you know, just asking questions, bouncing ideas off of each other, because when you start to source things in the U.S. and you start to build them in the U.S., it's a big like, holy shit, because since, you know, the company supplying the, the material that you need are only manufacturing that for a small amount of companies, the minimum order quantities are a lot, like hundreds of thousands of dollars at times. And so I'm like, bro, just call me. I'll send you the shit. You can buy it from us. I don't want you to go fucking bankrupt buying buckles. Um, you know, so we, we try to help out That's companies cool. like that. Wow. Like, um, you know, with Tyler, I'm like, dude, just fly down. You can grab whatever you need. It's not a big deal. Um, yeah, he's he's in my, even though he's a crazy fuck, I mean, he's doing it the right way. Um, <laughs> you know, he's, he's literally um, employing um, and building uh, a community uh, for, 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 for helping the community by, by hiring people, Help. buying more sewing machines, building it up and, and making it all in the U S. So if I can help him from what I've learned uh, through Patrick and in the company, if I can help him out, I'm, I'm more than willing. Uh, Cause it is an uphill road to hoe building shit in the U S man. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's super cool. Um, I'm glad you know, and I'm glad you guys are talking and I'm glad that that's like a thing that makes me really happy to hear that. That's super cool. Yeah, I have some other interests. Our stuff and, he just sent me the Gen 2 harness, so I'm going to wear that on my next uh, hunt. I've been wearing marsupial gear, another super cool guy that we kind of partner up with uh, as well there. So um, it, it anytime I have a company that, that I, I mean, in my opinion, is doing things the right way, whether they're a competitor or not, I, I do as much as I can to help them. Nice. So you're, you spend, uh, I guess, how many, um, how many hunt, do you know how many hunts you have planned this year? How many states you're going to hit and what animals you're going to hunt? It depends on if the border opens, but um, usually like 30 uh, hunts or so, um, you know, about from August through Christmas. Like I think this year, yeah, I killed a big white tail. Well, I killed a good white tail on Christmas Day and my wife didn't leave me. So that was good. Um, <laughs> Yet. I, Yet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I've been through a few wives. So this one actually is pretty cool about it, um, you know, as far as that goes. But I usually like in October, I'm in Canada. And this year, um, I really spent most of my time in um, uh, the panhandle of Texas hunting whitetail, Oklahoma, um, and then guiding uh, out at sheep hunters and mule deer hunters down in the Davis Mountains uh, with my buddy Scotty. That's the Topo Texas Outfitters. That's the dude I guide for. Okay. Uh, super one of my best friends, if not my best friend. And I, ha- I actually, I got some shit from people for hunting whitetails. And I'm like, well, what the fuck you want me to do? Just not hunt? Like, <laughs> 
the borders closed down and I got to hunt. So I don't have to, but I take know, those opportunities. I mean, if, if, if that's the target that's rich in the environment, you might as well take advantage of well, it. What the hell happened? What, what happened? Like it's an interesting community. So we're, I'm really curious. I know. I just, uh, yeah, interesting community is a good way to put it. Um, it's very <laughs> polite. Uh, <laughs> it was just, I wasn't hunting in the mountains. You know, I went on a, had a buddy draw a goat tag and, he called me, asked if I'd give him a hand. So for mountain goats, so we went in and I helped him for a couple days. And then off I went down to Oklahoma and Texas to go on a, uh, mule, uh, mule deer white tail killing spree. Basically I had a lot of depredation tags and MLD tags. So it was a good trip. Um, but I think like, you know, I try to hunt white tail at least for three weeks or a month every year, uh, in two to three to four different States. Um, so as far as what all I have planned, I have a mountain goat that I know of, right? And this is if everything pans out. I've got a mule deer hunt in Alberta, a moose hunt in Alberta, a, two bear hunts in Alberta, um, mountain goat in Alaska, um, black bear in British Columbia, mountain lion lynx and bobcat in British Columbia, elk in Colorado, antelope in New Mexico, antelope in Colorado, um, mule deer in Colorado, black bear in Colorado, uh, elk in Idaho, um, Oklahoma and Texas, whitetail, Audad, mule deer in Texas, um, alligator uh, in Florida. I'm missing some shit. I have three but questions. Yeah, I have three questions. Well, three things. Two questions, one thing. I had eight groomsmen. I couldn't remember all of them every time I had to like recant them. So that was really impressive that <laughs> you have all that. Uh, Two questions. How, how many freezers do you have and what the hell is your taxidermy bill? And where are you putting all this shit? So I don't, I don't mount, um, uh, anything, believe it or not. I, I, uh, I never have, um, a Euro mount stuff or whatever. That's I got cool. A guy Euro mount. I have five deep freezers downstairs and then one upstairs. I, uh, I try not to talk about this too much cause I see what people say about me being arrogant or whatever, uh, how much, uh, I shoot, but I, I couple hundred animals a year you know a hundred for sure um where the testing comes into play and it's not a bragging thing for me it's more like hey i have some validity behind what i say because i get to put a lot of arrows through a lot of animals and yep um you know you do hear and i get it you hear people say well i'd kill that much if i got to hunt that much which maybe you would but my thing is whether you would get to or not or you know whatever it's not a matter of um you know uh it, it's more when i try to get um information out there is there's validity behind it i didn't shoot a doe in the last five years and if that's what you do i don't that's fine it's just if you're asking me about broadhead penetration pretty good idea i probably have a good idea of what's going on if yeah you have about a... an arrow build what bino harness is quiet what limbs are the best on a bow what clothing works best i get that stuff sent to me to, to test i mean that's what i do so i try to just save people money it's really, really what it boils down mm-hmm. to i pissed away a lot of money a lot of shitty gear so I can, I can kind of get a word out to say, Hey, this is legitimate, you know, and then, and, and you'll like this, a good product is, or this one's good for the money or, or whatever. Does it ever happen where you like, you, you test something and you're like, shit, this isn't good. And then is it like, the Oh good. I have an yeah. opportunity to like help them course correct here. Or is it like, sorry guys, this a isn't good. Do not correct. That's one <sighs> thing I found. <laughs> a lot of the companies that I deal with now, I'll, I'll bring up, um, Sitka Sitka is super cool to deal with. I'm good friends with Barclow. Um, you know, they let, they, they're, they're super cool. Cause I test everything, you know, they don't care. I use every kind of camo, uh, you know, and, and obviously I usually end up in Sitka, but 
when I give them advice, um, they take it right. I mean, or they very much take it into consideration. Hanvog boots. I just designed a boot for them for this year. That really was a phone call and a 20 minute conversation that led to me talking to the designer overseas uh, in Europe and the boots out now, you know, it's for, for sale. So they listen. Um, it takes a while for a company to probably listen to certain people because they want to know there's validity behind it. You know, you don't have skin in the game in the sense I don't, I don't do it for money. Um, and so when they know that, they know you're actually just giving an opinion of a guy that's been in the woods a lot and uh, and, and they trust you more. You know, when you get to uh, if you're a lot of people, it seems like nowadays try to get into the industry to just get free uh, shit. And, and a lot of these companies that would give me free stuff. I feel bad, so I buy it and don't tell them, and hope they don't catch it, because uh, we all gotta, we all gotta make a living. So I, I right. try to purchase what I can. Now, if they're sending it to me just to beat up, I'm probably not gonna buy that because I'm going to beat the shit out of it. It's probably not gonna be worth a whole lot. So that's something I won't buy because I, I, I'm, I'm getting sent that just to destroy it, uh, to kind of like total failure uh, type of a destroy. So. I'm going to make you a meme from the bad boys movie where he's like, Oh, this car, I'm going to, I'm going to test drive the shit out of this car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's uh, funny. Wow, uh, man. So plans for spring Turkey, uh, Nebraska, Oklahoma, and, uh, and Texas are my cool. plans right now. What's it called again? When you, uh, the grand slam. Thank you, dude. Um, yeah, I'm just looking mm-hmm. forward to, to Turkey hunting here. But I, I heard that you had, what is it, two elk hunts planned, it sounds like, for sure? Well, if you count Texas, three, because you don't have to buy a tag down there. Really? And some of the farmers where I hunt, uh, cattle ranchers where I hunt whitetail, they'll, uh, when I'm down there, they'll call me. And, uh, and like this year, I shot a cow and let me know there's elk on their property. And usually these ranches are, you know, it's a couple hundred thousand acres. I mean, they're big. Yep. And so once we find them, uh, you know, we'll... You know, I just want the meat, and so mm-hmm. you don't have to buy a tag. It's it's great, sweet. I'm just sharing our um, our fancy link here. So if anybody wants to pop into the comments, uh, or I mean, like the uh, video you chat, you can now. Um, looks like Zeb is asking a question. Your podcast and recorded seminars from around 2013, 2014 gave us boys from Wisconsin confidence to go out west for the first time. Uh, obviously, Greg and I have been talking about doing an elk hunt out west for the better part of half a year. That was going to happen this year. It's not. There's a catalytic event that is prohibiting that from happening. I'll announce that later. Um, <laughs> yeah. Said, can you talk about the similarities about whitetails and elk? Um, wow, that's a long. That's a long post there. Zeb, Jesus, thank uh, you, yeah. Jesus, Zeb. That Trim that shit up, boy. <laughs> um, yeah, the similarities. I mean, obviously. You know, just in general scent, right? The normal stuff. I mean, I don't believe in scent locker or any of that shit. I don't think it works. And my underwear could walk on their own after a 14 days. <laughs> bad. Yep. Uh, so, you know, watching the wind, you know, the one thing with whitetail hunting that, um, you know, that I've noticed, especially if you go to, uh, you know, a land, a large chunk of land somebody owns, there's usually a map on the wall where the tree stands are hung on the map, the wind direction, you're doing the same shit. I mean, you're just having to do it after you've hiked in three to five miles. So watch the prevailing wind and thermals. Uh, be diligent about um, not not blowing out an area because of a bad wind, right? I mean, you know, there's there's times that, you, which I totally get, right? You come from back east, you drove all that way, that you're like, okay, the more effort I put in, uh, the better chance I have a, of taking an elk-ish, 
uh, I highly suggest to sleep all day um, or glass or not fuck around in the woods because you're going to blow all the elk out because the wind is swirling. If you have a consistent wind, obviously hunt that. But if you're hunting a swirling wind, you're probably going to push all the elk out of your area and hike farther. Um, you know, as far as like words of motivation, it's really not that big of a deal to come out west. Uh, you know, it's fear, right, or, or the fear of the unknown. Yeah, there's some of the toughest guys I've met are from Wisconsin. Um, so if you guys can drink beer and drive from bar to bar on a snowmobile and not die, I think you'll be fine backpacking and train killing elk. And ice fishing. You know our culture well, man. Yeah, ice fishing. Yeah, like if you can handle negative 50 ice fishing, you're going to be okay. It's probably going to be 70 degrees when you hunt elk. So Nice. Uh, good tip there, Levi. We know that you're you're the real deal out there in Wyoming. Levi runs a podcast called Pulling Feathers Outdoors, and uh, they they hunt the backcountry out there, take horses out, sea bears, all that all that good stuff. Crash horses down mountainsides. Crash horses down mountainsides. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. The literally like we have this segment called the most memorable hunts. That to me is the most memorable hunt that's ever been shared with us. I'll never forget when he's like casually, oh, and a horse fell on. I'm like, hold on, back up here. What, what the fuck? All their gear like spilled out all the way down and like crazy stuff. Um, I'll share the link with you. It's a pretty funny story. Um, trad question. Yeah. Do we get one? You yeah, have one? I, we've had a few trad yeah, we questions. Have. Yeah. But a guy that wants to start trad hunting, and I know this is a pretty open-ended question, but if you were going to get somebody started in trad hunting or even just shooting a trad bow, what would you recommend? Like, poundage wise start off with like a 40 pound bow 45 pound bow so minus um uh, weaklings and ultimate strongman right everybody in the middle yep. yeah somewhere around 45 pounds um mm-hmm. perfect you know if you're pulling 70 to 80 on a compound yep start out with 45 um it, it, rocky mountain specialty gear is the best place to call right that talk to those guys they've got four or five hundred bows on the wallet all the time and i everything you hear from me for the most part, is just shit I'm repeating they taught me. Like, sure. Uh, some of the things I came up with, my own tuning methods, but for the most part, everything I know is from them. Um, a Samic Sage, cheap bow, uh, something to practice with, they're 180 bucks. Once you bad. learn, if you like it, you can use it for training afterwards if you go get a custom bow or an ILF uh, like I shoot. Um, and then you'll have that lower poundage bow to work on your, your form. Uh, so it's not a wasted, like I have a 15-pound samic sage in my garage that i just work on my release with so you don't don't go over bowed uh and then make sure you get the right length so roughly if you're a uh 29 to 30 inch you want a 62 inch long bow you know 28 to 29 around 60 um and again you if if you if you call rocky mountain or, or someone else uh three rivers whoever They'll walk you through that. Just make sure you get the right bow length and then, you know, not don't get over bowed because you'll start collapsing. Um, and, th- you know, just bad form, just like a compound. You want to start off with good form. Otherwise, you're going to be uh, walking uphill in, in snow uh, the entire trip of trad archery. It, it can be a real pain if you start with bad form. Sure. So you have to make those shots instinctively and you're, you're not getting that re- release point like you do or that, like, you know, over the cam point. You're... You're not holding it. You're like, when you're going to shoot, you're going to shoot. Yeah. You know, again, back, like this is all I've learned back in the day, uh, guys would just draw, touch their face and let go kind of a snap shoot thing, which is not good. Um, you know, I kind of learned, uh, from like an NTS or power archery where you, you draw back, hold, aim, uh, max expansion release. And so 
I had some of the old farts I knew that were trad guys give me shit about starting that way. And they're like, oh, you'll never kill anything that way. And lo and behold, most of them have switched to that after 30, 40 years. Because mm. when you shoot on the collapse, you get a lot of shoulder issues. Um, I, I'm not a coach by any stretch of the imagination. I can give guys pointers. But, you know, what I've learned shooting 80, 90 pounds with a compound and, uh, you know, 60, 58, 60 pounds with a recurve. Uh, that's where I ended up. I started out at 40 that with good form, you don't generally end up having shoulder issues. Um, you know, all those things are important for the longevity. If you start shooting a stick bow, you know, you, you like it, you want to do it a long time. You want to, you want to have good form or you will get slap tears and all kinds of crazy shit in your shoulder. Nice. Jeff asked, uh, he said he's heading to Montana and fall for the first time mule deer hunt. He's asking for recommendations on what to not overlook. Good question, Jeff. Thanks. Um, so depending upon where you're, you're going Montana, cause the train's pretty vast and different. You know, I think a lot of people underestimate the power of glassing. Like we glass for 12, 14 hours. Um, and when I say that, I mean, we glass all day. That's all we do. We might hike from one glassing point to another, but we, we've run into guys, um, on the way in that, um, you know, sit and talk to us or whatever and say they you know, could be lying, but they, they didn't see anything. And, and I get it, you know, like we glass for our dad, I'll glass in one spot for 45 minutes and then magically Scotty will be like, hey, there's some. I'm like, How the hell did I miss those, right? Same thing on the side of a mountain. Uh, it doesn't take much to hide a mule deer when you're glassing something three miles wide and two miles deep, right? They're not very big animals. And so um, glass your, your butt off, basically. And then make sure you get stocking socks. Make sure everything you have is pretty quiet. Compound, it's not as important. You're sneaking in sub 20 um, you could blow deer out pretty quick from pant legs rubbing together. So, right. um, but yeah, I'd say glassing and patience and don't push a bad stock, uh, which is easy to say, but on public land, sometimes you have to, cause some other dude's seen your deer. So you got a whole ass in there, but try not to push a bad wind or a bad stock. They'll, they'll reposition a lot of times not to go into a mule deer. Um, whatever, go ahead. Seminar. Go ahead. Usually they're bed down between nine and 10 when they bed down, Nine and ten, there's a half hour. They kind of lay there, sun moves, they're going to re-bed. Don't ever, you don't hardly ever, I won't say hardly ever, very rarely do you want to stock a deer in its first bed unless you're real close and you can get to it quick because they're going to re-bed. And if you're solo, you are totally fucked up because you have no idea. You're stocking a deer that doesn't exist. He's moved. So wait till their second bed and they've planted. Once they've planted, uh, assess, right? You want to really look at it. If you're shooting a stick bow or a compound, can you get close enough? A lot of times, let's say if I'm inside of a thousand yards glassing it, um, you guys want me to go over all this? Hell yeah, dude. Keep going. You're keep, in a fucking roll. So let's go. Keep, uh, keep after my, it. I'm going to pour up another freaking uh, bourbon here. Keep going. Uh, I take my cell phone. I snap a picture of the mountain range and I put a white dot where the deer is. I zoom in, closer look, and now I'm drawing a white line where my potential approach will be. Things can change once you get over there. Uh, once I do that, I shoot an azimuth with my compass. Um, I take my pack off and I drop it. I wrap an orange panel around my pack. I shoot an azimuth to the deer. Um, then I take a back azimuth. Once I get over there, I know when I follow my back azimuth back to my pack that the deer is between me and the pack. I take a notebook and I write down if I can range far enough, uh, from my pack, what's behind that deer and what's in front that I can see. And I'll make a drawing, um, and I'll range those things. So I'll know if there's a boulder. 47 yards within reason ranging from you know six eight 1200 yards away there's a boulder at 47 yards i'm looking for that boulder when i get to the other side i've got a hand sketch i've got my drawing from my phone 
and I've got my back azimuth. All these things are so I don't blow out the deer. Uh, it's several fail safes. Catching features would be uh, another word for it, meaning once I've shot that azimuth, as I'm circling around behind the deer, my catching feature may be a tall dead tree or some kind of topography to look at so I know I don't pass the deer and I can get my compass and start shooting that back azimuth to get right in line with it. Once I get to that point, I'm looking for the different um, boulders, rocks, trees, bristle comb, whatever I had written down on my notes so I know exactly where that deer is. So now I got my back azimuth. I know the deer is in front of me and I know the distance is roughly of what's behind that deer. So I know at 47 yards, when I get to that boulder, I need to go in super stealth mode. At that point, I've dropped down to socks, um, generally roll up my pant legs uh, or at least tuck my socks in. A lot of times I'll drop my bino harness. Uh, if it, you know, if there's no wind, that bino harness makes noise. So I'll actually take my, my range finder and put it in my pocket um, and I'll take that bino harness off and I leave it. You know, so it looks like literally uh, you came home from being away from your wife for a month and there's clothes all over on the way to the bed. <laughs> there is shit laying all the way on the way to the deer. Because, a whole yard sale. Yeah, because I've got my my assault pack, you could say, or my final approach pack is what I take with me. I leave my big pack with that panel at the, uh, you know, where I spotted it. Yep. And then drop the approach pack sometimes, drop my boots, maybe drop my harness, depending on how quiet I need to be. And all of that, I've got notes for everything when I do that. Now, that probably sounds overboard, but if you've blown six or seven stocks in 10 days um, and you're 9, 10, 11 miles in and your your camp is a mile from your glassing point or a half mile and that's a thousand foot climb and then you're approaching these deer a mile and a half to two miles each approach, you're going to start taking pretty fucking uh, high, like a, a very high level of notes because you can only walk back to that camp physically so many times before you start thinking, is my kid okay? Oh, my knee hurts. Oh, I could lose my job. All kinds of shit to make up to go home early when reality, sometimes that does happen. You're just talking yourself off the mountain because you're just abusing your body. And so the less you can abuse it from taking notes and doing smart things, the more chance you have of harvesting or killing an animal and not beating the living piss out of yourself. This is the Having wisdom. Said that, of a, of a, of a hunter that has experience. In 2018, I think we went 13 days. Frank killed hit the seventh. We had to hike out and I had to hike back in because I didn't kill a deer. And I ended up killing an ancient giant, massive three by three. And I did everything I knew how to do. Right. It just didn't pan out. Missed a couple shots, uh, missed one opening day on a 170 buck. Um, the more you miss and the more you screw up, you are going to, it's a, much better learning curve because you will remember that where if you just watch it on social media or, or whatever, it's just not the same. It's like, I can tell you the stove's hot. You're really going to know it's hot when you touch it. <laughs> well, I can tell you to do all those things on a stock, but you're probably not going to do them all until you blow a few stocks and right. you're starving and there's no water, um, lightning, like no sleep They're on and on and on. So you pay a little bit more attention after that. Yeah. I mean, it's, Whitetail hunting, especially if you're hunting bedding areas, mobile hunting with a tree stand, it's a lot the same where you look at it and go, I probably shouldn't be wearing this pair of binoculars here. I should have put them in the pack because as soon as I swing my stand off my back, those those pair of binoculars are drooping down. They're going to hit the side of that stand. This is an and okay thunder moment. And, and if it's flat grand. calm, I mean, I, I heard you cursing and swearing and throwing <laughs> trees 
you know, steps down the tree and heard every clank and pink that you made on all that aluminum. And I was 200 yards into the swamp. So if I can hear it, I know deer can damn well hear it. So, you know, getting back to what you're saying about taking the time, thinking it through, kicking things off if you're kicking your boots off because you know your boots are harder than all hell on the bottom wearing a pair of socks in there they're not going to hear you nearly as much as they would you walking across gravel or stone or whatever it is you're walking across you're taking you're taking your time to 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 really set yourself up for the most amount of success you can have yeah de- yeah definitely um uh, levi brought up a, a good tripod to set your glass on will save your your neck and arm definitely um yeah, I strongly suggest for everybody to, um, you know, get as high end of glass and a tripod that they can. I actually don't glass with my, uh, my chest binos for a, a long, long time. I kind of grab low hanging fruit with those. And then I go to a 15 or the 95, uh, you know, spotter. Uh, but yeah, a tripod is, you know, a lot of guys will ask me like, Hey, I've got a set of, um, whatever binoculars low end and I want to get a, 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 a spotting scope. And, and even though it pisses them off, I'm like, we'll just sell both and buy a good set of binos and a tripod because you're much better off with a, a high-end set of binoculars on a tripod than you are low-end binocular and, and spotting scope. Especially some of the guys that argue with me on that probably haven't glassed for 10 to 12 hours straight because you get headaches um, pretty bad. And so I, I try to you – know, not everybody can afford super high-end optics, but, you know, try – It looks like you're back. I end up before it froze. Uh, just – like a lot of guys would argue with you about, and then it like froze. <laughs> um, a lot of guys will argue about, uh, you know, buying uh, low end binoculars and a tripod, um, or excuse me, low end bo- binoculars and a low end spotting scope. And so I strongly suggest for guys to buy uh, a high end set of binoculars and put it on a tripod and don't worry about a spotting scope until later. Um, it, you know, and this is off of me using everything from the shittiest binoculars known to man and spotter all the way up. It's a good set of 10 or 12 power binoculars, you know, Zeiss, Swirl, or Leica um, are going to be much better long-term than a, than a crappy spotter or crappy binos. So try to spend that, you know, get the best binoculars you can bridge up on those. And once you have the highest end set of binos, you can then move on to the spotting scope. And this is like super, Solid advice. Yeah, my God. I mean, honestly, if we were going to do an elk hunt this year, I would be remiss if we didn't talk to you because this is some good intel. Obviously, Levi's got some good tips, too, as a listener that's you know from Wyoming doing it all the time. But this is uh, your approach is great. By the way, I can't help but ask, are you using a lensetic compass when you're out there? Like, are you doing your own no, land ever? I don't care that heavy bastard anymore. That, uh, <laughs> the days of the Army ended that. Um, I carry a – I have a Silva and a Sunto, but actually – I don't have my M9 up here, but this is um, one I use as an example. Uh, where's my camera? There right go. there. That's a wrist strap compass. Um, okay. And this is a little bit cheaper than my Suunto. I have a Suunto M9. I, I have um, usually a Garmin 701, or th- this is an Instinct Solar. Um, we can't go too in-depth into this because it's going to confuse the shit out of people. But I don't use an, a GPS very often. I use it to get a eight-digit grid coordinate. You know, and then I plot that out on a map. I manually land nav, uh, and then I keep my a compass on my 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 right wrist for, like I said, when I'm shooting an azimuth. Um, it's hard to dead. Most people on the planet can't dead reckon. So once you know your azimuth, 
the chances of you staying on that um, are not great. So you, you obviously you want to actually shoot uh, the the farthest point away on that azimuth that you can see the whole, that you can see the whole time. So then I don't have to look at my compass anymore, and I'm I'm hauling mail to that that point that I that I shot an azimuth to that I can see the farthest away. You, when you start talking about navigation and, and compasses and things like that, which we're, we're going to start holding a school with field craft survival to, to teach some of this. But, you know, when you're um, first coming, it's easier to get lost in Wisconsin by fucking far than it is Colorado because there's nothing. It's just timber. You can't see shit. So there's no train association um, in Colorado. If you have your wits about you, you know, train association, you know what terrain features look like on a map in, in 3d view. So you can look at it like a set of blueprints. And so you're like, Oh, okay. That's that Ridge line. That's this draw or whatever. Once you learn how to train associate, you learn how to run a map and compass back azimuth intersection, resection, all that crap. You really don't need a GPS very much. Um, other than I plot out, or I, I, I set a waypoint where my, um, the dead animal is my tent, my camp, right. I, the, or excuse my camp, my truck, right. Those are the things I need to get back to. Very rarely do I mark on a GPS highlighted spots like elk wallows and things like that. I generally mark it on a map. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I may hit a waypoint on my, my, my GPS, but I generally just mark it on a map because I can get to it easy enough with the, the, the terrain around me. Um, and a lot of times, too, not to give all my secrets away, but <laughs> if you know when you're coming in on a trail that you the um, – I don't, an elk wallow, okay, is 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 down in this bottom to your right or in, in or whatever. I'll actually mark that tree off the trail, and and I'll know off of. And, and sometimes I'll put a ribbon up and I'll hide it, and I'll put 127 degrees. I know at that point if I should go off 127, I'm going to walk right into that wallow. It beats pulling a bunch of shit out of my pack, turning my GPS on. I just pop my wrist oh my god that's freaking brilliant okay aaron two questions uh from the from the audience here jeff bino uh power and spotting scope spot power uh so if you're hunting whitetail and and out west you know an eight power is not a, a horrible option um because you, you shake a little bit more you know, of course, as I say that, I'm like my, you know, your dad, right? Do what I say, not what I do. I run 12 power NLs right now. Before that, I ran 10s. The 12s have a larger field of view than my 50, 50 by, uh, excuse me, 15 by 56s. My 12 by 42 NLs do. So I run 12s on my chest. But if I was going to get advice, I'd say 10s or 8s if you're hunting. You know, 10s are about as high as you probably want to go whitetail hunting. Um, with the spotter, if you're fit run a 95 or a 115. Well, at 115, you better be pretty damn fit. Run a big spotter if you're fit. If you're not, run a 65. I pack a 95 everywhere. It does get old packing that thing, but it is nice having that field of view um, and that extra power with um, with a 95. No offense, Jeff. You're not as fit as our friend Mitch Baker, so. No, and you'd, be, you'd look like a chimpanzee packing the Hubble on your back. Yeah, I just packed around a 115 for Audad in the Davis Mountains. And they're at six to 8,000 feet, uh, the Davis. So it's not my house. I'm, right now at my house, I'm at 10,000 feet uh, elevation. I don't mind packing around down there. I'll pack it around in Alberta. But packing that thing in eight, nine, 10, 12 miles for mule deer, mountain goat, or sheep, that fucker's probably going to stay home. 
Uh, it's heavy. <laughs> uh, plus, I carry camera gear. You know, I carry a big DSLR camera. So it starts to add up. So I try not to ever get out of shape. You got to get a mirrorless camera. What's that? You got to get a mirrorless camera. Those things are light as fuck. You didn't, you didn't listen no. to his latest podcast, did you? No, no yeah, I didn't. Say I went through every camera known to man. He's probably on the mirrorless for a while again. And oh, shit. Every mirrorless I need song. to listen to it now. Yep, no, you do. Just, mirrorless are awesome. Uh, they're unbelievable. Quiet. They take a great photo. They do break easy. Um, you know, you get dust on the sensor. So I actually said, fuck it. And I bought a, a 1DX Mark III, which is literally like carrying a baby around. Uh, <laughs> it's probably 14 pounds. But for me, which is weird as this is, part of going in the woods anymore is taking photos. I love photography. So I'm like, fuck it. I'll just carry it and take great photos and nope. piss on it. It's, uh, it's more, it means more to me to take a great photo than it does to save weight at this point. Is the shutter in that camera pretty loud? No, you can go totally silent. Really? Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Um, and it fires 20 frames a second wow. on silent mode. And so, I mean, it sounds like a Gatling gun when it's not on silent mode, but uh, it does, it's, it's a great wildlife photography camera as well. My cool. uncle is... Uh, He's got more big deer in his wall than anybody else I've ever met in my life. And most, more than most people on social media can ever attest to. Um, it, but he's, he's, re, he's resolved to just take in beautiful wildlife photography now. You know, he's so, I don't want to say he's so yeah, old. Man. He listens. He's, he's up there, you know. So that may be where I end up. I mean, I do, I like photography. I actually slowed down the last couple of years because it's so hard to kill shit with a recurve. I'm like, fuck this camera. I got to focus. But I'm going to, this year, I'm going to, I've already gotten back into it pretty heavy. And I always carry the camera. You just don't always get it out. I'm going to get it out a lot more yeah. this year. And, and, uh, the, the, um, the trad thing consumed me a little bit. So I didn't take photos as much. Well, I left this uh, message up on the screen. Brandon is asking about, uh, arrow weight. I might add before you interject, Aaron, Brandon, you might want to talk to our buddies over at Vector Custom Shop. Isaac Smith, uh, might have some good answers for you too. But obviously the experience that Aaron's going to have is going to speak to your, your question here. Yeah, um, 550 grain arrow with 20 solid arrow for big game. Yeah, I mean, that's more than enough. Uh, yep. You could drop the weight of that if you wanted. I, I Everyone's different. Um, but for the most part, um, you know, 265 to 280 is a good blueprinted speed to stay in there. Nothing wrong with 250 feet per second either. But 265 to 280 – you go over 280, it becomes really hard to, to tune. Um, really, the, the key, the speed of sound is 1,100 and some feet per second. So I don't really care how fast the bow's shooting. You're not going to beat the speed of sound. Nope. So a quieter bow, which took a long time for me to comprehend, is much better than a faster bow because it doesn't matter how fast that bow shoots. And shooting those cracked out deer in Wisconsin and in, in <laughs> Alabama, I, I, I shot at a couple deer at 50 yards that were six feet from the arrow by the time it got there and and that was on a compound and the bow wasn't overly quiet where recurve they're a little bit quieter they don't get out of the way as much so that is plenty to shoot any animal in north america um and and, and if somebody tells you different they're full of shit that arrow will go through anything i moose whatever especially with a, a fixed blade broadhead 550 grain arrow at 250 is crushing my trad setup and i've shot almost every animal in north america with that and zipped through it so Speed would be the only thing. If you want to get a little faster, you could, you'll gain about every 10 grains. You drop about three feet per two and a half to three feet per second. So if you drop from 550 to 500, 
uh, you're going to gain 15 feet per second. But if you don't want to, you certainly don't need to. Cool. Well, we're, gosh, into the next hour. Um, I think we've been on for an hour. Aaron, if you feel like you have time, man, I, especially from you, if you can share your most memorable hunt, I would just love that. Yeah, I, I got plenty of time. I'm probably going to have to share more than one. Dude, I can't pick them. When people ask me that question all the time, I can't pick one. Um, it, strangely enough, all of them, almost all of them are with a, a stick bow. Uh, I would say one of the more memorable hunts was in Wisconsin with uh, two of my buddies, uh, Jerry Goats and John Patterson. They work at the, or they worked at the paper mill in, in Park Falls there. Okay. Um, first time I went whitetail hunting and, uh, did not know what I was doing. I shot a buck on the ground walking to my tree stand in a snowstorm, which isn't totally normal. It doesn't happen. It was an older deer. It wasn't probably 120 inches or something. I don't know. It wasn't giant. Um, and I shot a pile of does, and it was all a new experience. Never hunted the North Woods. So that's one of my more memorable hunts. But, you know, almost all of them, um, the mountain goat I shot last year with my wife and Luke watching, the wolverine. Um, you know, the mule, the first mule deer I shot with the stick bow or the sec first and set. I'm not telling stories. I'm telling animals. So I guess I'm screwing this up. <laughs> I shot a mule deer at four or five feet with Frank um, with the stick bow. My first year made an insane stock, climbed above it. And when I drew back, my arrow was between its, its antlers. When I drew back, Holy um, cow. that one was amazing. And then um, the Jeff Lander in Alberta, a super close buddy of mine hunting mule deer was him. I shot 180 some inch out of whatever it is, a big mule deer. And it was one of those deals where uh, I was learning with the stick. This was my first year. Um, you know, and you sometimes are, you know, in your mind, like, is this attainable? Like, can I do this? And my wife and I um, had started dating and I'm texting her like, this is, I'm having trouble, right? Like this is, these deer are really smart. They're not like high country deer. Like these deer get road hunted by rednecks. Like you can't even stop the truck and they run away. And I ended up um, 40 yards from a you know, one of the larger mule deer, largest mule deer I've ever seen and, and ended up taking that mule deer. And hunts like that is as much as the, uh, the ass whooping you got as it is the animal for me. In 2018, I shot that one mule deer in the high country. There's a video, but in 2019, we went back in, um, hunted my ass off. I had to, uh, get, get to Alaska, you know, poor pitiful me. I had to go on a goat hunt, but I, I, uh, I had to, uh, I, I missed a 200 and I know what it scores. Cause I killed it in rifle season on a private ranch. When I came out of the high country, it was at 203 inch, 32 and a half inch wide bucket, 12 yards in the cliffs. Wow. There's photos of me, uh, just a guy I met, uh, Justin Walski back there. Um, he photographed and filmed me on this stock and I got on these cliffs. I, I literally probably should have died trying to get to this. Like when I say that meaning I got so close to falling off these cliffs and, and I do get tunnel vision. Um, my legs and calves are shaking. I finally kicked my butt up against a, this vertical wall. Cause I was above it. I used my limb tip to brace myself, but I had to gangster style shoot it cause I couldn't put my bow vertical. So I'm like, trying to shoot it like it didn't pan out i missed it uh no no i mean i literally was parallel when i shot it because i couldn't draw back uh, i missed it um i climbed to the summit of the mountain i called my wife and i was like hey i i'm done i'm coming home and she's like hey you got a day left and i said no i'm 
I'm going to regroup. I want to see you and hang out with you. We had to get to Alaska and I'll just come back in after the Alaska trip. So on the Alaska trip, I ended up shooting that Wolverine, which you couldn't have made that shit up if you tried. That was crazy. Um, ended up shooting that thing like at 12, 14 yards. Um, came back, hiked into the high country solo. I think I was 11 miles in. Frank was going to meet me a couple days later. Third day, I called Frank. I'm like, bro, don't come. I can't find any deer. Literally hung up the phone with him. Six deer moved into this this one kind of basin embedded in these trees. I ended up shooting that thing at seven yards. Wasn't a giant deer. Um, called Frank and I'm like, dude, if you want to drive down and come help me pack it out, I shot a, I got a buck. Um, you know that deer is like a probably one of the smaller deer I've shot, 120, 130 inches. But I paid forty one dollars for a tag. I got sixteen days of hunting in some of the most adventurous shit you could ever have happen. Um, while I didn't kill the deer that I was after, it, it was an amazing journey. And then, you know, I'm stuck on the other side of the mountain range. All I've got is that Bane pack. Uh, it's just a small, basically lid. And I'm like, I am not going to hike over this mountain range and get my pack. So I'm wadding deer deboned into this. I've got like, it looks like a set of balls swinging. I've got two game bags in my hand, my bow, climbing up over this mountain range to, to get back to my pack. Uh, snowstorm comes in, temps drop like crazy. I, I'm, I'm trying to find flat ground because I told Frank where to meet me. I couldn't find flat ground there, so I'm still hiking. I got 120, 30 pounds on my back. It's snowing. I'm too stupid to put my rain gear on because I'm like, ah, oh, it's not going to be that bad. So now I'm soaked, uh, and it's basically a blizzard. So I set my tent up cranked up my my reactor to warm the tent up run around trying to find wood to build a fire i got that prepped and kind of hid to stay out of the snow i think i ate three top ramens uh with three tuna packets at one time because i was so freaking hungry i hadn't eaten all day warmed up and then got outside built the fire started to dry myself out and frank's like mr dependable that crazy fucker drove all night slept at the trailhead was at my tent at 6 a.m. the next morning in the dark. I could see his headlamp coming down the mountain. Hiked it out and whatever that, I mean, it was one of the coolest things I'd, I'd experienced in it. It certainly wasn't the animal because the animal was small, but it was a crazy adventure. Oh my God, um, I love it. Yeah. Frank's guess, a badass, huh? We got to get him on, it sounds like. Yeah, Frank, Forget you, you man. Frank. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, this no, is no, no. Uh, for, you know, the thing with Frank is um, he, he's um kind of i know you say a hidden gem the dude he's just tough he's tougher he's as tough as just about any man i've ever met um you know you could call him and say i'm 17 miles in and i need help and he'd be like oh okay let me grab a hat do you need a gatorade you out of copenhagen and he'll be there as fast as any human could get there to help you out um he's not exactly um a uh he wouldn't say shit if his mouth was full of it so getting him going takes a little bit like talking he doesn't take a talk a lot but He's definitely dependable on a on a on a backpack hunt. The dude dude's a stud. That's cool. That's cool. I got two friends like that. You're looking at one of them on camera here, and the other one's uh, you know, in the same city as me, not that far away. But <laughs> yeah, it's cool. No, those are great stories, dude. This is freaking fun. This is a good this is a good episode. I appreciate you taking time to hang out with us tonight, man. This is great. Yeah, you're a busy guy, and we appreciate you a ton. I had no idea you were going to respond back and be like, oh yeah, this Tuesday will work. I was like, holy shit, this is this is like a thing that's happening. So uh, it means a lot to us. No, I try to just help out, you know, and, and uh, you know, as many people as I can, but also meet, you know, new people. I, I, you know, my circle of friends is about the size of a quarter, right? I don't 
hang out with many people. And uh, so it's always as weird as it is. We were talking about the other day, like that moral code that you live by or that you're, um, what am I trying to say? Um, the, 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 when you go on a backpack hunt uh, or you marry someone, right? You're your wife, right? Um, you, you probably needed to vet, you know, like very few times do you say, oh, we went and got married in Vegas a week after we met. Do they stay together? Because there's so much fucking baggage that hasn't shown. Right. Where, you know, uh, over long term, you kind of weed out who your friends are and who, when I say that, close friends and who I know aren't. What you mean. Yeah. Yep. And uh, that list is pretty short for for me not that i you know other people are great or whatever it's just a matter of you're gonna go backpack in with somebody and and basically your life is in their hands and theirs is in yours for 10 12 14 days and suffer you better get along good um or you're gonna come off the mountain early and so my circle of friends is pretty small so i'm always uh open to you know talk to new people and shoot shit about hunting and everything else um just um way the industry is going, trying to work together is, is uh, a lot more important Smart, than yeah. for social media. Agreed. You don't want the neck to bite the head off. I mean, that's what's happening. So, um, no, we appreciate you. We appreciate your time. We respect your time. And, uh, you know, folks, thanks for tuning into the live broadcast tonight, Aaron, um, just, you know, for due diligence, make sure people know where to find you and, and some of the products that you're carrying, where should they go? Um, so the, the company is called Kafaru international. So it's K I F A R U. Uh, the website's kafaru.net, um, and we, we're on social media, Instagram, just Kafaru International, Facebook, uh, YouTube page, KafaruCast. A lot of tech tips on there and different things. Uh, also, KafaruTube for, for products. Uh, on my own personal Instagram is Aaron. It's A-R-O-N underscore Snyder. Um, and I have Facebook as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm on, I try to, I hop on other people's podcasts all the time, but, Really, my, my Instagram page is where I put the majority of my focus. Cool. And then we end on a high note for Mitch Baker, who's one of the most fit human beings I've ever seen. That dude's an animal. Uh, thanks, yeah. Mitch. I'm going to end the live stream. Uh, Aaron, hang out with us for a second here. And uh, this will be in podcast land tonight, everybody. As you all know, we produce the same night we record. So thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you. Cool. Thanks for having me. Thanks for everybody tuning in. What's up, everybody? Anthony Heller here with Deervane, and this week's tip of the week is kind of along some of the lines of the podcast, and that is gear. Um, so with season wrapping up at the end of January for pretty much everybody in Wisconsin and a lot of people in early January, your gear, what you liked and what you didn't like, more importantly, what you didn't like or what you want is still fresh in your mind. So take the time right now write those things down, figure out what they cost, and then set a budget for them right now. With COVID, a lot of people are having a lot of lag times and pieces of equipment are really slow to come in. And if you roll into Fleet Farm in September and October, a lot of times the gear that you're looking for is just gone or you have a minimal selection and you got to just make do with something that you find. So Uh, And I've done it myself, and I pretty much do it every year, (laughs) to be honest. But right now, I sat down, I planned out what gear I wanted to use, what gear I wanted to get for next fall in 2021, and I've set budgets for it so I can buy it throughout the year so it's not just some big shock to my bank account in August or September. So I highly encourage all of you guys to do that. And, um, you know, things, things to look for, maybe, maybe a new backpack along the lines of the podcast today from Kufaru. 
maybe a new pack, maybe climbing sticks, maybe a saddle, maybe tree stands, maybe new broadheads, new arrows, new fletching, new rest, new sight, you know, new boots, new camo, grunt tube. There's all sorts of things that, that can be on the list and just getting that information down, what you liked and didn't like, and then, you know, putting that into action over the course of the year rather than all in September can be super helpful. All right. Hope it helps guys. Hey everybody, thanks again for tuning in to tonight's episode. Uh, I think it was a pretty good one with Aaron Snyder. I uh, really, I personally enjoyed it, learned a ton, uh, pretty great dude. Uh, so make sure you go check out uh, his stuff at Kifaru International. And then uh, shout out to Anthony for another great tip of the week. Appreciate those a whole bunch. Check out Deervane at Deervane.com. Subscribe to, subscribe to his YouTube channel and Instagram. A um, couple of just quick announcements. We're going to be off next week. I have some other stuff going on. Uh, so no new podcast next week. Um, but we'll be back on March 2nd with uh, Beast Mode Archery Challenge, BMAC. Uh, then on the 9th, we're talking with Andre DeQuisto um, with Lone Wolf Custom Gear. And then we're switching gears talking to the Average Conservationist. And then we'll follow that up at the end of the month with Timber Ninja Outdoors. So those are some of the guests and folks we're talking to. Again, no podcast next week. And then we're back on um, the, the, you know, the 2nd of March. So the first week of March, that Tuesday there. So some fun stuff to look forward to. Look, guys and gals, if you like the podcast, please head on over and give us a rating and review on iTunes. If you have an iTunes account, I don't know where else you can leave a review otherwise. That's like the place, right? Um spread the word, share it. You know, we have our giveaway coming up at the end of March. So we'll have more to talk about there soon as we line some things up with some other folks, uh, in the industry. And what else? I think there's another thing. Um, well, I guess I, Hmm. <laughs> oh no, it's hard. Anthony did the tip of the week. I don't, I don't have one. Oh yeah. I mean, Hey, we're doing the live video broadcast stuff, uh, every Tuesday, except for next week, of course, at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. So if you want to participate, we had a lot of great feedback in the comments. So a lot of the questions that came through on tonight's episode were great. Uh, So that's really a great way to interact as we broadcast live. If you want to engage, we invite you to join us via video uh, to pop in and chat with us and also call in. So, you know, as far as I'm aware, we're the only podcast doing a live video chat and a live call-in number. Um, I know some other folks like listener call and stuff or I mean, sorry, listener questions. We do that real time. So really, we encourage you if you're able to attend the live broadcast, that's a really great place to interact with us. If you can't make that, no big deal. You can always submit questions early on. Um, You can send us an email. You can uh, send us a direct message on our social channels. So we're always happy to engage. We'd love to hear from you guys, the listeners. We want to make sure this is your show. So have a great day and hum public. (laughs) 